Audio Mystery Theatre presents The Ornamental Hermit, a D.S. Billings mystery. Part 5 The Isle of Withorn. Uh, beg your pardon, Vicar. I'm looking for Lorna Lochran. What was that? I'm looking for Lorna Lochran. I believe she lives around here. Hey, she does. But she's down here now. She's at work. Who are you? And my name is Detective Sergeant John Billings. What was that? My name is Billings. Detective Sergeant John Billings. From Wigtown? Uh, no, from London. I wish to speak to her about Brendan Lochran. Brendan Lochran, eh? We've had some officers from Wigtown here only a few days ago. You've located him then? Yes. Well, why don't you come in, Sergeant? It'll be quieter inside, and Lawner won't be back till six. Come in. I've got a fire lit. Grab yourself a chair, Sergeant, and bring it by the fire. Do you know Brendan Lochran? Aye, of course I do. How couldn't I? He's been living amongst us for nearly ten years. Will you share a dram of whisky with me? No, thank you. Go on. He'll warm you up. There you go. Thank you. I heard Brendan was in London, in jail. That's right. Killed someone, I heard. He's been accused of murdering Lord Palmer. Oh, dear me, that's a shame. But not entirely unexpected. Why do you say that? You'll have read about him, no doubt. And how he came to live among us. No, I know nothing about him. Oh, but my good man. It's been in the local newspaper and everything. It was quite a sensation at the time. I know nothing about it. Well, I can show you. I should have a clipping somewhere. A young reporter from Glasgow came here a few years ago and wrote a whole article about it. Ah, here it is. I collect articles about the Isle. I plan to write a history at some point before I die. This place has a rich history, you know. Birthplace of St Ninian. Christner of the Picts. This is it. Brendan, the mystery of a stranger stranded on the Galloway coast. That's right. He was washed up on our shore. Swept in by the sea. Where from? No one knows. He never said. No tongue, you know. You can take the clipping with you if you want. I have other papers. I can make new cuttings. Thank you. Uh, what kind of man was he? What kind of man? You said you weren't surprised he killed someone. Oh, well, he was a queer fellow. Not quite right in the head, if you know what I mean. No, I don't. Well, he did some peculiar things... Had a habit of torturing himself. Torturing himself? Aye. He'd starve himself sometimes, or he'd lash himself, that sort of thing. One time, he'd hammered a nail into his hand. No one knows why, but there were traces of the blasphemous about it. What do you mean? Well, some of the villagers started reading all sorts of things into it. They saw parallels with the events described in the Bible. I had to warn them in a sermon not to confuse mania and delusion with godliness. Brendan was not a sane man, and they caused a lot of suffering to Lorna. His wife? No, they were never married. Lochrain is not his name, it's hers. We don't know his real surname, but he lived with her. She looked after him. No, he wasn't a pleasant man. He was peculiar, difficult. They all had to do with his past, I'm sure. Something very traumatic must have happened to him to make him want to forget it all and start again. 
That's what he came here for, in my opinion. To be reborn. Where are you staying? You're not planning on going back to Whithorn tonight, are you? You won't find anyone to take you at night. I haven't thought about it. Why don't you stay at the old anchor inn? It's just down the road. It's where all the passengers for the Liverpool ferry stay. Thank you. I think I'll book myself into the inn and read that article. You've been very helpful. Thank you very much. Brendan, The Mystery of a Stranger Stranded on the Galloway Coast by Angus McVeigh It was a cold night in February 1885. The Galloway Coast had been battered by severe storms for several days and there were no signs of the winds abating. I was on my way to Liverpool, but as no ships would set sail under these conditions, I became stranded on the isle. So there I sat, in the old Anchor Inn, moping over a tankard of ale, waiting for the weather to ease, when all of a sudden a panicked crowd of men entered with a heavily bleeding man and rushed toward the bar. Quickly, get some bandages and alcohol. Brendan's had an accident. Accident, my arse. I saw a young, bearded man with a rough, red face in the middle of the panicking crowd. He held up his left hand, which was bleeding profusely. His shirt and trousers were stained with blood, and a track of dark red dots littered the floorboards from the door to the bar. What's he done now? He's hammered a nail into his hand. Look. Everyone got up and rushed the bar to watch the spectacle. I had to stand on tiptoes and crane my neck to get a good view. It was just as the man had described. A six-inch nail had been driven through the palm, the sharp end protruding from the other side. While everyone around him fussed and panicked, the young, wounded man, whose name apparently was Brendan, remained quiet and unfazed. There was a serenity to his face that intrigued me. Who was Brendan, and why did he drive a nail into his hand? It would take another two days before the ship's captain felt safe enough to set sail. During that time, bit by bit, as I conversed with the locals, I learned the curious story and fascinating history of this remarkable man. Five years ago, a fisherman by the name of Paul Lochran found a currach upturned on the beach of a small bird island known locally as St. Ninian's Rock. But an even greater surprise lay waiting as Paul approached the boat. A man lay underneath it, cut and bleeding and half submerged in the water. Paul lifted the man into his boat, rowed him ashore and took him to his house where he left him in the charge of his sister while he rushed off to fetch a doctor. It was during the doctor's examination that they were met with yet another surprise. The man had no tongue. It had been completely sliced off, leaving only the frenum lingering lost and useless in his mouth. Word spreads quickly in a place like this, and soon the whole village had gathered outside Paul's house to speculate about the mysterious shipwrecked stranger. Who was he, and what was he doing in these waters? Could he be an Irish fisherman swept to the Scottish shores by the wind and the current? Or was it a convict, escaped from one of the prison hulks anchored off the coast of Belfast? Or perhaps a former Fenian terrorist, fleeing the anger of the comrades he'd exposed, the removal of his tongue being the price he'd had to pay for his betrayal? The villagers have been waiting a long time for their questions to be answered. 
and they are waiting still. For to this day, five years since his extraordinary rescue, the man has refused to divulge any information about himself other than his name, Brendan. Two of the three theories, however, have already been discounted. He is not an escaped convict. The local police carried out extensive checks both in Britain and Ireland, and there have been no reports of any fugitives from any of Her Majesty's prisons. Nor could he have been a fisherman swept away from the Irish coast. The West Coast fishing community still hold their Irish cousins in great esteem, and they were adamant that the clumsily constructed curragh in which Brendan had been found was the work of an amateur. So that left only the third option. Brendan must have been a fleeing member of a criminal organisation, and perhaps his fear of his bandmate's reprisal was the real reason for his continued silence. Whatever the reason for Brendan's arrival, the locals welcomed him into their community and took him under their wings. The Isle of Whithorn became Brendan's new home, and he even moved in with Paul's sister, Lorna, who had nursed him back to health. But he remained an outsider and repeatedly tested the patience of his adopted community with his peculiar behaviour, as I found out when I talked to the locals. He's a queer odd bird. This business with the nail's not the first daft thing he's done. He went missing one night, remember? Aye, that's right. We searched all over the place until we found him sitting on top of St Ninian's Rock the next morning. Stark naked he was, just sitting there, grabbing his knees to his chest, shivering and clattering his teeth. He'd left his clothes on the beach by the harbour and had swam to the rock in the middle of the night. Why? No one knows. Then there was the time he locked himself up in Lorna's coal cellar, remember? He buried the key and told Lorna to slide food and water under the door once a day. He'd been there for three days before Lorna finally knocked the door down. There's something definitely not right with his brain. It's because he can't talk. That's his way of attracting attention. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. He's a wain without his tongue. That's how wains behave. He was trying to show us something. But he has his wee boarding show. Why does he not write on that? Because he can't write. Aye, he can. I've seen him do it. He can write his own name. That's all. Brandon's an idiot. <gasps> no, no, don't get me wrong. He's a good lad and all that. At least when he's not drinking or acting stupid. But he's a simpleton. His mother must have dropped him on his head. There's no other explanation. I don't agree. There's something wise about him. Wise? The way he sat on that rock, quiet and still, and gain himself out to the wind and the rain and the cold. What are you talking about, you mad bent? <laughs> oh, men don't understand. For you, the wind and the sea are there to be conquered, but there's something saintly and humbling about giving in to the elements. <laughs> saintly? That were St Ninian's rock he sat on. That were no ordinary rock. That were St Ninian's rock. I was desperate to meet this intriguing man, but despite all my efforts, Brendan proved to be as elusive as he was enigmatic. After two days, the boat was ready to depart, and, much to my regret, I was forced to leave. But one day, I shall return... One day, I'd like to go back to the Isle, make my acquaintance with this mysterious fella, and form my own opinions. Is he a saint, 
or a sinner, a lunatic or an eccentric, a wise man or a fool. One day, I should like to find out. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Good evening, Mrs. Lochran. My name is Detective Sergeant John Billings from the Metropolitan Police. I know who you are. The vicar told me about you. I'd like to talk to you about Brendan Lochran. You better come in then. I have news about Brendan. I, I know. He's in prison. Tin? Uh, no, thanks. Brendan is accused of killing Lord Palmer. And you're here to clear him. Well, I do have reason to believe he may be innocent, which is why I wanted to speak to you. I'd like to find out more about him, where he came from, what kind of man he was. The Reverend told me you read the article. I did. Well, then you know as much as I do. I'd like to ask you some questions about your own life with him. Why? I'm looking for clues. I'm trying to find out why he would confess to a crime which I don't think... Um, yes, he did. Well, that's it then, isn't it? He'll be hanged. Not if we can persuade him How to... am I going to pay the rent now? Those ten shillings he sent me every month was all he was ever good for. Well, that didn't last long, did it? Useless bloody bastard. He can still retract his confession. There's not enough evidence to convict him if he retracts his confession. We would have to reopen the case. But I need more information about him. I need to know just what kind of a man he was. He was selfish. That's what he were. Selfish, lazy and useless. Was he violent towards you? Ten years have I looked after him. Ten years of buying his food, of paying his rent. Never did he bring home so much as a penny. You've got to get yourself a job, I told him. You can't keep relying on the charity of my brother and the Kirk. We're a proud people in these parts. We're poor, but we're proud. But what could he do? His hands were too thick and clumsy for the nets and he refused to get back into a boat. There's nothing else in a place like this for a man who can't talk. So he'd sulk and he'd drink. And if he felt I nagged him too much, he'd throw a tantrum and lock himself up in the coal cellar. Or swim out to the rock or drive a bleeding nail through his bleeding palm. He were a ween. A spoilt little ween. Yet you looked after him for ten years. Aye, I did. Well... A woman's got to love someone. I never had a wean of my own. My first husband drowned and, well, well, it's just they haven't got much going for me looks ways. No man wants a drunk, shriveled up old maid. But then my brother came home dragging a strange, wounded man over his shoulder. He were helpless and mysterious and, well, love comes easy to a woman when she's needed. She don't need no other reason. Why do you think he stayed here with you for ten years? Nowhere else to go, I guess. I never knew what went on in Brendan's head. He didn't share a thing with me. We're having beef and oyster stew. Um, no thanks. Yes, yeah. 
I just diced up the last bit of salted beef for you. We had a wee chalk and board for him, which we borrowed from the school, but he refused to use it. After he recovered, he'd mope about the house, drinking loads and looking miserable. There was clearly something ailing him, and I wanted to relieve him of it. So I took the board and I'd write on it. I know it were daft to me, but it was easy to forget in the beginning that he weren't deaf, just dumb. I love you, Brendan, I wrote. I want to help you. Tell me how to help you. But he just laughed. Take the board off me, correct my mistakes and walk away. The crime he is accused of is a heinous and horrific one. He's accused of killing his employer with an axe. Would you say Brendan had a violent streak about him? Was he ever violent towards you? He was only ever violent towards himself. Why do you think he did things like that? Lock himself up in the coal cellar or, or hammer a nail into his palm? I don't know, but it weren't what some of them think. Then they see himself as some sort of local Jesus and me as his Mary Magdalene. That's what some people think. But it isn't true. I think it was frustration. Frustration of not being able to talk. Of being dependent on me. Will you be seeing him again? I intend to when I return to London. And will you make him retract his confession? I will try. If you succeed, Sergeant, will you ask him to come back to me? I want him back. Tell him to please come back. I will pass in the message. Second extract from Sebastian Forrester's diary. Wednesday, March 17th, 1880. It is the day after Janie's funeral. And in the courtyard of Tatum Hall, workmen are replacing the water pipes. I wish I could have attended the funeral. No mention was made of Janie's death at this morning's assembly, but there's been a lot of fuss about the possibility of lead poisoning. All students who complain about tiredness and muscle ache have been advised to seek medical attention immediately, and we've been reminded not to drink from the taps in the courtyard. If only they knew about the rotten trick Father and Mrs Drew played on them. I found out yesterday that Mrs. Drew accepted a generous offer of compensation from Tatum Hall for the death of her daughter. Why am I the only one who has broken up about this? Father has not made any comments about this tragedy in his letters to me. He has ignored all my accusations, my lengthy descriptions of Janie's horrible illness, my remonstrations and regrets, and writes instead of his charities. What the devil do I care about his charities? He still prides himself on being a good Quaker and thinks we've done the decent thing by offering to marry Janie when anyone else in my position would simply have thrown money at her and have left her to her own devices. But the truth is that what we have done is worse. We have committed the greatest sin of all. We have committed murder. Am I to be the sole bearer of our preposterous crime? Am I to atone for all three of us? Has the burden of redemption been placed once again on the sun? Monday, March 22nd, 1880. Crickshaw called me into his office again. 
He was not happy with my essay about the epistles. You've done nothing but rephrase what was already written in the New Testament. There was no deduction, no interpretation. This is not an essay, Mr Forrester. This is an exercise in copying. Well, I don't care about the epistles. They mean nothing to me. There's nothing in them but rules and regulations and statutes and doctrines. What happened to love? What happened to faith? Human hearts are not governed by rules. We need rules to keep us from straying. Without them, how would we know that we had strayed? We'd feel it. When I do something wrong, I feel it burning inside me. I feel it eating me up. Well, not everyone is like you, Mr. Forrester. Some of us need rules. <laughs> the Desert Fathers didn't have rules. Are you still reading that book? The Desert Fathers found their own ways to God, through prayer and intuition. That's what I want to learn about. I don't want to read about Romans and Corinthians. I want to read about our own homegrown saints, like St Cuthbert, who would sneak out of the monastery in the middle of the night, wade into the sea and pray with the rhythm of the waves, or St Columba, who would sail to the remotest islands in his quest for solitude, or St Bridget, the glorious mother of Kildare, who healed fallen women of their pregnant state. These were people who knew about passion. They knew about instinct. They listened to God with their hearts and not their brains. All these saints you mentioned were scholars once too. Everything they learned, they learned from the Bible. The Bible is our primary source. All knowledge stems from there, and no other book would do. Well, I don't care about the Bible. Sayings is my Bible. Sayings is my primary source. Here, let me show you. A brother was leaving the world, and though he gave his goods to the poor, he kept some for his own use. When Antony learnt of this, he told him, If you want to be a monk, then go to the village, buy some meat, hang it on your naked body, and walk back here. The brother did as he was told, and as he walked back to his cave, dogs and birds followed him and tore at his body. He came back to Antony and showed him his torn body. Then Antony said, Those who renounce the world but want to keep something for themselves are attacked in that way by demons and torn in pieces. There are no better words to describe how I feel. My soul, my whole being, has been torn to shreds. Janie's death is the consequence of ignoring God's call. I know what I need to do now, and I cannot postpone it any longer. Tomorrow I shall leave. I shall go to the wilderness, give myself over completely to the will of God, and be reborn as someone else. I will take nothing with me other than some clothes and the money I need to reach my destination. Even my book, my worthy and beloved book, which has taught me much and has given me such consolation through my many trials, I shall leave behind. As Evagrius once said, I shall leave behind all, even the word which commands me to leave behind all.
That must be when Sebastian left Oxford and headed for the Lake District. The train passes through Cumberland. I could get off at Kendall and have a look. A disturbing notion occurred to me recently. What if Sebastian Forrester and Brendan Lochran are one and the same? Oh my god, what a tragedy that would be. Could this glorious young titan, the, the hero of my youth, the man I loved and envied in equal measures, really have turned into a pathetic old wretch in the space of ten years? The thought is too disturbing to contemplate. In this episode, the parts were played as follows. Billings, David Alt. The Vicar, Mr. Crickshaw, Aubrey Parsons. Angus McVeigh, David Holmes. Man in Pub 1, Mike Young. Man in Pub 2, Luke Malloy. Barmaid, Sarah Bowers. Woman in Pub, Floyd Kennedy. Lorna Lochran, Sally Swift. Sebastian, Matt Sykes. Audio Mystery Theatre is free to listen to, but not free to make. If you want to show your appreciation, please consider buying us a virtual cup of coffee at co-fi.com slash audiomysterytheatre. That's ko-fi.com slash audiomysterytheatre. With theatre spelt the British way. That is, with R-E at the end. <laughs>